Happy Easter, everyone. We are so glad that you decided to join us this Easter weekend. Hey, this is a very special weekend. There has never been an Easter like this before where people are gathered in homes all over the world. I believe that this could be the church's finest hour if we'll just stay committed and if we'll just stay connected. We are praying for your family. We're praying for God's protection and God's provision in your home. Hey, I'm continuing a series that we're calling God Moments. God Moments is a subject that we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about life-altering God moments in the lives of people in the Bible. People who encountered God. They might have known it. They didn't know it. What did they do in those moments? Did they seize that moment? Were they, were they able to recognize it? Were they wise to it? What did they do? How did they react in that moment? And what can we learn from their story? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here and that we're able to still gather, even though we may not be together in a church house. We are in homes all over, uh, all over the community. I pray, Lord, that you bless us as we are gathered today. And, Lord, I pray that we will not miss one God moment. May we encounter you by your word through your spirit in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, Happy Easter. Has something ever happened to you that you thought to yourself, man, I didn't see that coming? I mean, it, it, the, the moment happened, and then you're, you, you'd like to say, hey, I, I'd like to go back, and I'd like to have a do-over on that. You know, there have been some things that have happened in my life, uh, not, just, not just, hey, I'd like to have that over, but, I mean, serious things like accidents, life-altering, you know, life-threatening situations in my life. And if you know me, we call those travesties. Um, if you'll take a look at that word, I just want you to know that that is not misspelled. That is a real word that I made up. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, uh, it's a, a play on words. Obviously, my name, if you know me, my name is Travis. A travesty is simply a true story of something bad, something grim, something terrible that happened to me, a, a true story that I like to use to, as an illustration in a message. So the year was 1979. I was 11 years old, and I wanted a BMX bike. And back then, you couldn't get your hands on a BMX bike in, in this community. In Pottawatomie County, there was no such thing as a BMX bike. We saw them in magazines or on television. So with the help of my mechanically inclined cousin, some zip ties, some plastic some black spray paint, uh, some knobby tires, and a 10-speed seat, and some other borrowed bicycle parts. We put together this makeshift BMX bicycle. After riding it a couple of days, we decided to do what any other 11-year-old boy would decide to do in all of his intelligence. I decided that I needed to try out my jumping skills. I had never ramped a bicycle. I've never jumped a bicycle before, but, you know, it was time to start. So what I did is I took a uh, very thin, long piece of plywood and two cinder blocks, and I marched them all the way down to the end of our about 400-foot driveway, set them to the side so they wouldn't be in the way, so somebody wouldn't run over that. But I set that bicycle, or I set that uh, ramp at the very end, I'd say about two feet tall, the funny thing about it is I never considered the landing. I considered the jump. I considered the speed. But I never considered what happens on the other side of the jump. 
But anyway, I, I backed that bicycle all the way up to our fence, and I took off as fast as my legs could pedal. And I remember hitting that jump and, and you know, going, getting some really, really good air. And then going over too far and thinking to myself, oh, no. And then the front tire hit. And the last thing that I remember is about to go over the handlebars and sticking my hands out and thinking, there's a telephone pole. That's the last thing I remember. And then once I regained consciousness, I literally woke up and I was on my knees with both arms wrapped around the telephone pole like this, asleep like this. I was, later on, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I wonder why nobody woke me up. or I wonder why, you know, as people drove up and down that road, maybe people were thinking, you know, if, if that wasn't Travis, that might seem strange. You know, I, I don't know what people think, but nobody woke me up. And, but I remember waking up from that, and stepping back and feeling really groggy and feeling dizzy and my head hurting and walking slowly up in the yard. And one by one, my cousins and my sisters, and they ran out there and looked at me and began to scream. One of them actually said, he looks like Frankenstein, and ran and, and told my mom. And about that time, blood was coming down my face, and I could actually see a, a big bluish-green bump on my head. And I walked into the house, and as I was walking into the house, my dad did what he always did in moments of crisis like these. He looked at me and rolled his eyes and said, Carolyn, your son has hurt himself again. My mom came running up there, threw her sandals on the ground and said, oh, dear God, son, go get in the station wagon. So I, I, I ran, you know, I walked out there, got into the station wagon, and we took our semi-annual trip to the emergency, you know, with, like we always do, about twice a year with me. And I went in there, and the doctor, you know, he, I can't remember everything he did, but he told my mom, he said, he has suffered a severe concussion, do A, B, and C, here's some ice, and watch him closely and everything. Then he walked over and he looked at me and he said, son, you are very fortunate to be alive. You know, the funny thing is a couple days I went out there and I looked at it and kind of wondered what happened and how I missed, and then it was kind of like this. I looked at the ramp, everything seemed to be in place, the board was still there. Then I walked about three big steps and there was a telephone pole. And I thought to myself, well, you know what I'm thinking. How did I not see that coming? You know, we, we're talk, that's what we're talking about in these, these God moments. How in the world, as, as we read about people in passages of Scripture, how in the world did they not see it coming? We're specifically talking about a sect of people called the Sadducees. Everybody say Sadducees. They were an interesting religious group. They were part of the Sanhedrin court. They, they, they were a, a governing body for Jewish people, for the Hebrew people. They should have seen this coming, but they missed it. Just like we can so easily. Unrecognizable, potentially life-altering moments. Moments that would change everything if we had only seen it coming. Well, can you imagine walking around or being or knowing who Jesus is? Can you imagine walking around in those days like the, the Sadducees were? They saw his miracles. They witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They heard about, and some of them actually witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. And all of their wisdom and all of their knowledge of Old Testament scripture. Can you imagine knowing what they knew about Jesus and missing their God moment? I believe that's exactly what happened with 
the Sadducees. Let me read a little bit about their story. This is a, a particular story in their lives. Mark 12 and 18 says this. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on his brother's name. Well, suppose there are seven brothers, so you probably know where they're going with us. And then that brother dies, then the other brother marries, then that brother dies. So what they said, they tried to stump Jesus on this. Well, whose husband will she take? Who will be her husband in the next life? They thought they would get him. And Jesus said this. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, therefore you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. But now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living and not the dead. You have made a serious error. Now, every Easter, we like to talk about the resurrection of Christ. And today, I want to specifically talk about this group of Sadducees because they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to tell you this, that, that I really believe that there was a, a God moment for them like never before, that Jesus actually took time out of his schedule and approached this belief of theirs. And, and I want you to also realize that their moment, their God moment, is not so much unlike ours. For them, their God moment, it was a moment of confrontation. In other words, it was kind of an awkward moment. Mark 12 and 24, let me just back up a little bit and break this down. Mark 12 and 24, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That was not only a confrontational moment, it was also an awkward moment. Think about who he was talking to. He was talking to the, to the Sadducees, the, the most powerful part of the Sanhedrin court, the governing bodies of the Hebrew people. The Pharisee, there was Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were more powerful than the Pharisees. So they grew up, you know, knowing the word of God. They grew up understanding, you know, the Old Testament scriptures and the, and the prophecies. They grew up, and they really thought that they were kind of VIPs. So they were very, very special. And Jesus is telling them, you don't know what you think you know. That was confrontational. And it made things awkward. You don't know what you think you know, and what you think you know is actually wrong. Why did Jesus do this? Well, they kind of asked for it. He, he, he would, he would uh, confront them from time to time, but they asked for this moment. So I believe what he was doing is he loved them so much as Sadducees that he was going to seize this moment to give them a bold truth. He's saying you don't know the scriptures. Why was he saying that? Because scriptures are truth about God. Scriptures are the words of God, and the words of God are actually truth. And when you know the truth, the truth gives a certain power to you. Truth equals knowledge, which is actually the power of God. Get this. If you don't know the words of Jesus, you will never know the power of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you don't know the words of Jesus, you will never know the power of Jesus. Jesus is saying there was power in the word that you're missing because you don't know the word of God. Here's an important question. What 
powerful God moments are we missing because we don't understand the scriptures like the Sadducees as well as we think that we do? What powerful God moments are we missing because we really don't know the scriptures the way that we think that we do? Jesus was telling them. You see, the Sadducees, they were tied to a lie that they, didn't, they, were, that they were completely unaware of. There was this lie that they believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. So Jesus was using this time for a bold truth to free them from the bondage of a lie. And as, as I began to think about that, I thought about what are the lies that we tell ourselves that are leading us into a path of destruction? Do you need to be free from the bondage of a lie? Think about the lies that we tell ourselves. Like, I can't do this. That's a lie. The truth is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm too weak. That's a lie. The truth is his strength is made perfect in your weakness. I feel alone or I'm alone. That's a lie. The truth is he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In fact, his spirit lives on the inside of you. I, I, I have to worry about this situation. That's a lie. You don't have to be anxious for anything. Just with prayer and humility, let your requests be known to God. I can't change. That's a lie. If you have given your life to Christ, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Life is hopeless. That's a lie. His hope and his peace surpasses all understandings. God can't use me. I've done too much. That's a lie. The truth is there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Nothing good can come of this situation. That's a lie. The truth is he'll bring everything around and make it good, even in the worst of circumstances. God doesn't care about me. That's a lie. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he gave his life. He gave his son to give his life for you. When you truly know the word, it will expose and separate you from the lies that the enemy will feed you. What is the power, or that is the power of God that the Sadducees missed. It was a confrontational, awkward moment of truth, and they missed it. They missed that moment. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got to start reading my Bible more. Another moment, another thing that this moment, this God moment was for the Sadducees is that it was a, a moment of challenge. In other words, it was an uneasy moment. It was an uneasy moment. Jesus confronted the Sadducees many times before, but this was a different kind of confrontation. He was challenging their BS or their belief system. They kind of asked for it. So since they asked for it, he brought up the one thing that was holding them back, their belief system or their worldview. What is your worldview? That is that is what you believe about creation. That is what you believe about the divinity of Jesus. That's what you believe about death, hell, and the grave. That's what you believe about the next life and eternity. It's your worldview, your belief system. In Acts 23 and 7, it talks about the difference in the belief system of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It says, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. Imagine that belief. Imagine believing that your hope for this life or for the next life is only in this life. Think about that for a second. I mean, in that sense, it's almost like atheism. 
The difference is the Sadducees believed in a creator, but they didn't believe in life after death. Think about how hopeless that must feel. Think about how sad that must feel. Existence is meaningless. Existence is pointless. What a very, very sad world view. Jesus loved them so much that he challenged this belief system that was throwing them off track. Listen to what he says in Mark 12 and 25. He says, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. Think about that for a second. Now, let's just stop right there. He said, I want you to realize that there is no marriage in heaven. In other words, that person that you're seated to right now, guys, if you're married, that person that you're seated to right now, you're not going to be married to that person in the next life. Wait just a second. Now's not the moment to lift up a shout of glory, okay? Now's not the moment to be praising God and amen, okay? Okay, let's move on. This is not the time. The 26th verse says, but now as to whether the dead will be raised, he goes on to talk about uh, the writings of Moses. I think that that's interesting that they bring up Moses and Jesus uses Moses, what they don't know about Moses, to confront what's going on in their life. And we'll just skip down. It says, check, check this out. Jesus loved the Sadducees so much that he challenged their misbeliefs. I'm glad that he loves us so much that he does not leave us in our misbeliefs, but he challenges us in our misbeliefs, not because he doesn't love us, not because he does not accept us, because he wants to move us into a different place. He wants to confront and to challenge the misbeliefs that are trying to destroy us. Do you know that you can be living for God? You can call yourself a follower of Christ and be hung up on a belief system that could be destroying you or killing you. He wants to confront those. He has something better for you but it's going to be a challenge. Jesus loves us so much that he will challenge you with God moments, with life-changing moments, but the idea is not to accept you. It is to move you, to challenge you to change. You see, he wants to change you from unbelief, or he wants to move you from unbelief to belief. He wants to challenge you in order to move you from misbelief to righteous belief. He wants to challenge you in order to move you from sin to salvation. He wants to move you from, from hopelessness to hopefulness. He wants to move you from survival mode into thriving mode. He wants to move you from, from, from uh, uh, hoping for the best to experiencing God's best. He wants to take you on a journey that will challenge you and change you. But he's going to challenge your misbeliefs and he's going to challenge your perspectives. And that was not okay for the Sadducees. But the truth is, if you'll accept that challenge, he will give you life, abundant, true life. Lastly, this God moment for the Sadducees that's a lot like ours. It's a moment of confrontation. It's a moment of challenge, but it's also a moment of choice. In other words, it was a decisive moment. In Mark 12 and 25, it says, so he is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And listen to what he says here. You have made a serious error. You have made an error. In other words, it was a, it was a drop the mic moment. That moment for them was, was a moment where they had to figure out what they were going to do with the words of Jesus. 
I mean, uh, do I, am I going to believe what Jesus said? Am I, what do I do with this moment? Because he didn't, leave any, he, he didn't leave any room for, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. You have to make a decision. Do I believe what Jesus just said or taught, or am I going to believe what I've been taught my entire life? A God moment is always, listen to this, a God moment will always lead you to make a choice. It was a decisive moment for them. Do I choose to believe what I've taught or do I continue to walk in my pride? Am I going to just continue this way out of my pride? It is a defining moment. It changes everything. It is a life-changing moment. Once it happens, it moves you to a place where there is no going back. That's exactly what was happening for them. For the Sadducees, there was no going back. Once Jesus said this, it couldn't be unsaid. Once he did this, it couldn't be undone. The only thing left to do is to make a decision. He said, you've made a serious error, and that was the last thing that he said. And then he walked off, and they were were standing there with a decision that they had to make. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this decision that I've got to make? Do I choose to believe in Jesus or do I choose to believe and take the path that I've always taken? Listen, I'll say it again. A God moment always is always followed by a choice to make. Jesus addressed the real issue with the Pharisees. It was a confrontational, challenging God moment that led them to a place where they had to make a choice. And they never did. I don't know if they ever chose as a governing body. I don't know if they ever chose to follow Jesus. I can't find it anywhere. But I want to close with this. Whether they missed their moment or not, I don't know. I can't say that they all did. I I don't know. But their God moment is not unlike yours and mine. And today, if you follow Christ, maybe God is dealing with you about a moment right now. Maybe for you, this is a God moment of a moment of confrontation. Maybe you're being confronted right now about a lifestyle. You follow Jesus. He's Lord and Savior of your life, but you're being confronted right now about a lifestyle. And maybe something else in this moment, this God moment, this holy moment, is you're being challenged. Your belief system, you believe something about yourself, you believe something about your past, and it's being challenged. This confrontation and this this challenging moment, it's leading you to make a choice about who you're going to believe. So let me just pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that follows you. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to them in this moment. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to confront us. Thank you for loving us enough to challenge us. But we've got to make a choice whether we're going to believe and walk in faith or we're going to walk in fear. We've got to choose whether or not we're going to follow you and your plan for our lives. And we choose you. In the name of Jesus. And right now, if you believe that, I just want you to say amen. I want you to say yes. Now, if you don't follow Christ, I want to talk to you. If you're here and you're, or if you're gathered around your computer or your smart device, whatever, on Easter Sunday and you don't follow Christ, man, I have to believe that this is, this is a God moment for you. What are the chances that you would listen to this entire message and you don't follow Christ. Could it be that this is your God moment? I, I personally, I have to believe. First of all, you've been, you've been confronted. I believe that maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it, it might be something. You've been confronted today. 
Second of all, something about your life, I believe it's been challenged. Maybe it's your belief system. You have, you know, you have to, uh, you're thinking about this. I don't know, is Jesus real? Easter is confrontational. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is he who he says he is? Is he the Messiah? Do I believe in all of these things? Your, your belief system being challenged, and I, right now it's leading you to make a choice, and you're about to make a choice right now, whether you want to or not. The choice is, do I reject everything that's being said, or do I accept the Lord as my Savior? And I want to tell you, and I'll make it easy for you, I want to encourage you, to accept Jesus as Lord as Lord and Savior. Accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'll pray with you right now. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to take my life and use it for your cause. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that have committed their lives to you today. I pray, Lord, that you would just make it real right now. Wrap your arms around them, strengthen them, and give them the life, Lord, that only you can give. And thank you for eternal salvation. Thank you for keeping us in your hands. And Lord, I pray for people that are listening and watching today. And I pray for Faith Co. Church, and I pray for the families of Faith Co. Church that you will take us through this season where we're not gathering at our campus. And I also pray for our community, for our county. I pray for our state, our nation. I pray for the world. I pray, God, that you will bring an end to this COVID-19 virus. I pray, God, that you will give our leaders wisdom and direction but lord most of all i pray god that the united states will turn to you in this season we love you we give you glory and we worship your name as our risen lord and savior we love you jesus amen and amen god bless you guys today